You're listening to the Brooklyn USA podcast, an occasional audio love letter from Brooklyn to the world. Each episode of our show turns a different corner of life in Brooklyn and shares the stories, sounds, and scenery of the borough we call home. And since the middle of March, we've been telling New York's story from the intersection of an unprecedented crisis and a presidential nightmare, a corner we've been calling 1920. Today, it's July 17th, and the dog days are getting shorter. I happen to be born in Brooklyn on the longest day of the year, and long enough ago to know that the only thing that makes New York worth living is summer in the city. But this one's been weird so far, to say the least, and while the city struggles with how to spend it safely, this week we're giving up the ghost of summer's past. Revisiting stories of Brooklyn's hottest blocks, parks, parties, and people, and reminding ourselves why it is we stayed. While the city's COVID wave may have crested and waned, a wave of gun violence in the city is picking up at pace. So first, a story from last summer on a group in Flatbush that approaches the issue with divine intervention. Then we go back to the time that poet Naji Omar took us home. Next, we remember a ride around the borough, a time we built a better buggy, the time we walked along the boardwalk, and a stop to get a drink. And in perfect Brooklyn fashion, we find ourselves a party in the park, before finally, and of course, checking the weekend weather. The fireworks are over, the streets are back to life, and you can hear the music and the children playing. It feels like summer, sort of, in Brooklyn, USA. The 67th Precinct Clergy Council, aka the God Squad, was formed in 2010. Together, the members of the God Squad use faith-based programming and street-level interventions to keep their communities safe. They also organize shooting responses in the same area where a person has lost their life to gun violence. We went with the God Squad to a shooting response in Flatbush Gardens where a 21-year-old Clevens Valsin was shot and killed in front of his own building. We're live in the East Flatbush section of Brooklyn. In East Flatbush, this quiet street was rocked by gunfire. Fatal gunfire broke out. Gun-toting suspect. Well, black, funny, shot in the torso. Shot in the head and chest. Shot to death in Brooklyn. Well, like you to just say a few words when we get downstairs. You said thank you, you. You just say a few words. In the mic, you say, thank you, everyone, for coming out. Thank you for your support. We're going to just get around. We're going to get around. Going around. Um, Dad, come, come. Where is um... All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to begin in a moment um, for a community response to this heinous, senseless shooting of a young man who had his whole life ahead of him. My name is Guilford Monroe. I am the president of the Guard Squad, the 67th Precinct Clergy Council. We are a group of churches and also clergy members who live, work, or have interests within the confines of the 67th precinct. You don't know which church, but you know, I said if you come, we'll tell you. But that's it. My name is Minister Aaron Williams, and I'm also with the God Squad. My role is a mediator, and I would say also an advocate, but also I mediate to help confiscate guns off the street. Yo, what's good, huh? How you doing? Our responsibility that we believe is to make sure that our community is safe. We are here standing as a community because we believe that we don't want any shooting in Brooklyn, especially in East Flatbush, to go unanswered. I want you to take an opportunity to look around me, look behind me. Uh, more than you can see, we support our community and the family have our support. My name is Maxine Lewis. 
my son at the age of 16 shot and killed for a gold chain. Seeing a mother who is wrenched in pain and people doesn't understand, you think it's just that you shot someone, they die and that's it. But the mother. You do not get over it. That woman is up there is in pain. She is going through. And her word is, my baby, my baby, her only child. Bon Dieu, Baba no Kinanciella. Nanon Jesus Christ de Nazareth no Vindevaon a minutesa. If there is someone who was shot and killed in the confines of the 6-7 precinct, we will provide the funeral services for that family. We will care for that family. We will love that family. And we will try our best to make sure it doesn't happen again. Give me your name, baby. Kenisha. Kenisha? Okay. All right. All right. We, we're here with you, Kenisha. We also have high-level conversation with the police department. One of our responsibilities is to be able to say, listen, this kid is actually one of our kids. He's in a program. He's doing good. As opposed to taking them to the system and giving them a record, why don't you release them into our care? So our job is to mitigate and to work and build a bridge between what is happening on the ground and what is happening in the halls of one police plaza. Every time someone is shot in, in New York City, we, we get an update. Every color that you see someone who was shot between January of 2019 and June, I think 2018. For, for us to really also to understand how gangs and crews on the culture work, we have to be able to look at what trends we're seeing. The city gave us, um, came to us and they said, okay, we see what you're doing. The 6-7 precinct was a class A precinct. A young man was just shot two days ago. Let's see. Who is this young person? When did he get shot? On the 21st, 9.25 p.m. Not likely a male black 24. This is the age that we normally would see people being killed. Yeah, four people was hit. One. One deal A, dead on arrival, one likely, that means that we likely to die, and two not likely to die in the 8-1 prison. Male, black, 20. Male, black, 20. Female, black, 22. Female. Why the violence? Because America is a violent community. We are a violent society. We have more guns in America than we have people. Then you also have reduced possibilities with young people. Because of the lack of resources, you divest from our communities. And when you have failing schools, you have prison cells being built on third grade scores, you have all of this compounded in a small, compact area that is overpopulated you are going to get violence. What's up? What's up, Chris? What's up, son? Chilling? Cole? I was incarcerated off and on for um, approximately seven years. When I was incarcerated, I came in contact with religion and spiritually it was something to do. You know, guys would say, hey, listen, I'm going to the church. Some will go to the mosque to pray. So I had a choice of which one. I said, well, I'm going to go to church. It was a, a man from Queens. I'll never forget his face. But he would preach about God so hard with so much passion. And he talked about God loving everyone. And I think that was one of the things that at the time kind of moved me. They call Brooklyn a city of churches. I mean, you have a church on every corner or two or three on every block. And I don't know the consciousness of why the community don't know you as a leader. I think that if you have a church in this community or any community, they should know you as a leader or the pastor in that neighborhood. And you should be available. Say hi, hello. We can be prophets of the city. Yes. 
Hi. Hi, LeBron James. <laughs> About the role of the black church. We really and truly seek to hold families together. Here is the after school programs that we are running. Here are all initiatives that we are doing collectively as a church. We look at the numbers of the people that we're serving and we say that if you would remove this from our community, violence will be up. It's very important to hold on to our faith. Why? Because at the end of the day, that's all that you have. And if you lose your faith, then you have nothing. And then we will be in more trouble in our communities. These neighborhoods, I've sold guns to everybody around here, just about like, I mean, here, um, <laughs> all these blocks, uh, you know, if, I mean, you know, and, and fascinatingly, <laughs> I had so much weapons at the time back in those days that I had so much I would give stuff away too at that one point. That's why we do what we do, because we believe that every individual can grow, can change, can be redeemed. Now, redemption looks differently for different people. Mm -hmm. I believe in the total idea of redemption. I have a first chance, second chance, third chance. I think I've had 12 chances, like the 12 tribes of Israel. I, you know, I do share with people. I have more friends that are more friends that are dead than alive from street violence. Sometimes I ask God, what made me different from them? Nothing. Nothing at all made me different from them. And then I said, God, was it that were they not going to answer the call if you gave them the opportunity? Or you knew that I would answer? I mean, but, and I said, God, look, I'm still, you know, I'm still fragile. I'm still broken. I'm still in need of you. So what made me different? God didn't answer. But what I'm doing is not just for me, it's for all of those friends of mine that's not here. Because I know if they was here, they would be doing the same thing. They would do the same thing that I'm doing. Between 2017 and 2018, the homicide rate in the 67th precinct dropped by 65%. The number of shooting victims dropped by 21%. This is in the same year that Brooklyn saw a 6% increase in shooting victims across the borough. We can do this, Brooklyn. Come on. Most gracious Lord and our Heavenly Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, yeah. God, we ask that you would move and that you would speak to the hearts of the young men and the young women in this community. Yes, yes. God, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'll help them to understand that their life has meaning, their life has purpose, their life has value. Najee Omar is a Brooklyn-based poet, performer, and educator who uses the arts to build community. He's the artist-in-residence at Brooklyn's Intergenerational Community Arts Council and has performed at the New Yorican Poets Cafe, the Brooklyn Academy of Music, on Russell Simmons' All Deaf Poetry, and at the Ingersoll Community Center's We Are Brooklyn Block Party. Last summer, Najee did a reading of his poem, Hands, Kings, and Brooklyn Streets, Brownstone stoop sitting summertime block party skipping Brooklyn, 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 Brooklyn streets. I come from St. James and Fulton, C train Clinton Washington stop, golden crust dipping, fantasy island sipping, where high school dropouts through truancy parties, where corner stores ain't nothing but hood castles. Home to Arabian Nights boxing rings from middle school fights and street pharmacies. I come from New York City subway tunnels, underground museums where graffiti hangs like Picassos and the homeless are still life. Statues with a pulse yellowing from Pistane Sea. We the people gawk as we tour these amusement parks of poverty on our screwed up train rides home. 
see, I come from head bopping. No music hand clapping. Teeth smacking. Feet stomping. Double dutch hopping. Gum popping. Rock, paper, scissors says, shoot. Kid fun. I come from African bloodlines. Layla Hathaway bass lines. I pledged solo fraternity lines. Shakespeare meets Baraka poetry lines. Maternity stretch mark. Black don't crack. Don't you think about crossing that path mark. Supermarket lines that trace back to 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 1920s Harlem nights. Zoot suits creased and pressed. Top hats. Boom. Pat. Bass. 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 Gadunk. Gadunk. Pat. Pity Pat Ellis scats that swung and sway ladies' legs like brushstrokes to the air when they dance. See, I come from the corpses of crowned heads. Dr. King, King Headley, King Oliver, King's County, gunned down men who wore their skin less light or their hoods too tight. Torpedo fist, ready to rip the sky. Raised hands closed shut like cocoons, growing wings in the center of their grips. They held hope, waiting to fly. See, I come from the resistance of Angela's fro, from the will of Marley's locks, from the other end of the noose. A missed miscarriage, the seed that rose planted and prayed over and waited to bloom. See, I come from the thirsting eye of a grandmother. A dry well that longs to tear for the children she bathed and buried with a pair of hands refusing to wrinkle. See, those five-finger soldiers sometimes forgetting to pray before war were made for the piano so she could play a song for the heart to sing. And again, there will be life in the middle of her chest. I come from magicians. A magical man and woman who turned two-bedroom apartments into royal mansions with a world-class view of next door from a father whose love begins to gray over time and his wife, the woman who carried the world on her left shoulder, begging her knee for balance. From her blistered hands clinging to life, I come from the late night fights between a mother and cancer. Domestic disputes between sworn enemies sharing a bed, a husband, a family. I come from the hour-long cries, the name-calling, the backstabbing, the heartache. The doctor's visits, the treatments, the therapy sessions we sat in, the couch that wasn't soft enough, the doctor's voice that wasn't sweet enough, the wigs, the wigs that weren't long enough, cancer. The uninvited house guest dressed in mommy's clothes. She headed for the door with a card and last breath in hand. I come from a mother's goodbye as a parting gift. I grew up in New York City in Manhattan, and I've lived in Brooklyn for nine years. You know, this summer in particular, actually, I've been going on a lot of food adventures uh, with my wife, and we've spent a lot of, like, nice outdoor kind of walking around and exploring neighborhoods, and we went out to Brighton Beach and had, like, amazing Georgian food and just spent the day kind of on the boardwalk in the beach, and it was, like, a real glimpse of what I consider to be, like, old New York, or real, like the New York I grew up in, uh, just, like, people of all ages and all walks of life like hanging out at the beach, dancing on the boardwalk, like having a good time. Um, and that's like, that's like Brooklyn and New York in summertime to me. They say that meditating is like exercising a muscle. The more you do it, the more natural it starts to feel. We spent today last summer with Muhammad Floyd, a young man from Mount Vernon, New York, who's put in his 10,000 hours and picked up a few tricks along the way. 
When I think of meditation, it means grounding yourself, bringing yourself to a calmer state. People are depressed and I feel like people did meditation, people will be way more mellow and have the tools to deal with the world. My name is Muhammad Floyd. I'm from Mount Vernon, New York, and we're in my place right now. I was born into Islam because my dad converted when he was 17. And then my mom converted after she married my dad. And they raised me and my siblings all Muslim. I'm a Sufi Muslim. We meditate and we try to get closer to God. The niche or the group I'm in is called Tariqa Burhaniya, and I'm a Burhani. I just gotta get these beads, and that's it. We do extra upon prayers five times a day and fast during Ramadan. My dad's collected pictures ever since he's converted to Islam. This is like one of the earliest, earliest pictures I've ever seen my dad own. And he met the religious teacher at that time, which is known as the Sheikh of our group or our Tariqa. And from him, he learned a lot about Islam, about being a Burhani, about meditating, the way we meditate. Every year, my dad travels to Sudan to meet the Sheikhs and the people are closer to God because that's where my dad wants to be. He loves it. That's where he feels like that's home because he's close to the people who do nothing but worship religiously of Islam and meditate religiously. We have a group meditation on Saturday nights called Hadra. Because as a Sufi, we believe the way towards getting closer to God is through meditation. Oh, you was there? Yeah, yeah, I was there. Where, where would I be okay, if I wasn't was there? This fake sweat and stuff like that. You just, you know, you just I work hard. Last, last minute, you just throw you some, some, some water, just some, you put it. <laughs> where are you going to post that? People are drawn to religion for many reasons. I think it's naturally something that people just gravitate towards. Religion just gives people answers. Personally, now as a 26-year-old where I'm more mature, religion is like a foundation for me. Muslims is to enter into heaven. And I feel like having that discipline from there, religion helps. I've gone to religion to keep myself from almost getting too angry or going crazy. A cop pulled a gun out on me once in the Bronx. I was scared out of my mind, super anxious. 
But because I had religion and I knew I could meditate right then and there. That literally gave me the ability to go, yes sir, give them all the papers they needed, answer the questions, and I was on my way home. That doesn't happen for a lot of people. That is why I meditate. Make sure I'm grounded, make sure I'm calm, peaceful, that I can handle almost anything that comes at me. What's up, it's your boy Moby here, yo. Watch, you gonna see some cool, cool trick. Alright, yo. Let's go. So skateboarding and religion are really important to me because I use them as coping mechanisms or as ways to keep myself grounded and happy. Growing up, nerdy, dorky, black kid in the Bronx, skateboarding has helped me in self-esteem. It's helped me realize what I wanted to do in life. It's even helped me make a lot of the friends I have today. In skateboarding, you had to put yourself out there. Because you have to ride a board in the street, fall in front of people, get back up, laugh it off, and just keep on going. Skateboarding is under my feet, and I can apply a certain amount of pressure, flick my foot a certain way, and I'll know what to do exactly to change it. I don't have anything it compares to because there's nothing, honestly, that just like gives me, I guess, a, in a sense of a high where I'm doing and I'm just like, wow, this, this, this is good. This is a really good feeling. And that's even different than when I'm meditating because when I meditate, it brings me in a better, more calm state. But if I want to get into a happier state, skateboarding does that for me. You know, I have these moments where I would just break down through tough times. So tired. Because I was skating so hard for so long at low points in my life. That's what I'm fucking talking about. I literally felt like I was on a euphoric high. I'm all better, all better. I know skateboarding and religion are gonna be part of it for the long run because no matter how successful, how happy my life will be, I just know there's gonna be times where I'm gonna rely on those two things. Yeah, that's probably just my biggest memory about summer in Brooklyn is just being with my grandmother. I'll be outside as soon as I get up, 8 o'clock in the morning until the sun goes down. The park is fine, you know, but my favorite part of summer is getting out of town. I remember one day we did, like, they used to do double dutch um, things in the park. I never jumped double dutch because I don't know how. <laughs> Before I would come in the park, because my grandmother and my godmother live across the street from each other, I'd be on one stoop and she'll be yelling at me from the window. So it's probably, like, most of the summer memories for real. But... As people got older, people changed, like they started getting into different things. So it's not more so the neighborhood that changed, it's the people in the neighborhood that changed. When we're not in the middle of a viral pandemic, Brooklyn has a summer camp for just about everything. And back in 2011, there was even one for building and racing your own soapbox car, where campers got to combine power tools and engineering with craft and ingenuity. Here he comes. Woo! He is running up I hope he doesn't wipe out. Soapbox Derby is um, the end of the soapbox camp. We help kids make cars that make it down the street. <laughs> so this is like the third year, and uh, it's getting better and better each year. 
kids come back with wheels they pick out of their garbage or just things they want to put on their soapboxes, which usually they throw it away. So they bring it to us and we put it on their soapbox and in the end, uh, they get points for that. Um, I'm excited about people, um, how they're going to see like what we did, um, how hard we worked. <laughs> Let's go, that's good to do. Cool. Yeah. Well, just cut it a little bit. Basically, everything here is for speed. We rarely get off of this happily. Yeah. We've skidded into many cars. I think that this definitely isn't very fast, but it's easy to use. So, I think I prefer this one. It's just that it's not going to win anything. Today they are very excited to race it down the steep hill and that's it, they are focused on that. Spectators, stand back, this car has real teeth. Kids just love the fact that you bring these old bikes, you bring these old strollers, you bring these old things, and then one, two, three, you get a car. You know, it falls apart, you put it back together, it falls apart, you put it back together. Uh oh, oh, we had, oh, we have a racer down. We try to make the cars slow enough so they're not dangerous. <laughs> I felt awesome <laughs> because I just felt like our car just it was just really cool so I felt awesome. <laughs> Here is a tie for first place engineering. Guess I'm tr trying to decide what to do with it. Holds it doesn't exactly look very nice but it certainly suits. Oh! Oh my god, one of the cars is on fire, it looks like. It might be different next year. This year it's soapboxes, next year it's like, you know, uh, helicopters. The year after, you know, it's, you know, whatever, some, something else. We'll see. I've been on the rise with him, my friend McKinley, and like we go a lot of places, but like we sometimes we go to the beach, we chill inside the park, play basketball. I live on over there. Uh, well, I originally grew up in Flatbush, and then a lot of moving around, and I end up here. I guess there's a lot of sounds because like they usually doing construction, traffic and stuff. It's the waves, like yeah, the waves coming in. I've been working here for five and a half years. I get all the complaints, I interact with supers, with tenants, um, all different types of scenarios that goes on as each hour goes by, it's different. Every day is not the same. We've had incidents to where everybody helps one another, everybody, you know, looks out for one another. It, this is what I call my, my dome. Every, everybody works together here while I'm here. I don't know, I don't, I don't speak for everybody else. Everybody just works if it's just like a glove when I'm here. You know, you walk your path, 
you walk that straight path, it's peaceful. In other words, if if you're on your lane and you don't mirror left nor right, it's 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 peaceful for you. It's it's an open doorway, an open pathway for you to be who you want to be, think the way you want to be, eat what you want to be. There's no there's no pressure in Coney Island. Ready, boy? I lived in South Carolina all my whole life, so all this is very new and shocking, but I love it. Oh, South Carolina is very quiet, so all you hear is crickets and uh, twigs snapping. So it's like, oh wow, it's so loud in Coney Island. I stopped the guy from being racist in the Puerto Rican bodega and I got a free food for that. So the guy walked in and he was ordering um, a Philly cheesesteak and um, the, bo um, the bodega people have accents. So they was like, is it a Philly cheesesteak with no pickles? He's like, yes, with no in pickles, you can't talk. And I was like, whoa, I'm like, dude, that's uncalled for. If you need me to translate for you, I would be happy to, but that's that's not really cool. He's like, yo, F my F in business. And the people around me saw that I spoke up, so everybody got, you know, courage, like, yeah, yeah, get out of here. So, yeah, we kind of got the guy out of there, and the dude was like, oh, thank you. You, you know, if food is on me, the food is on me. I was like, oh, thank you. I didn't really, wasn't looking for a reward. I just thought I was really messed up. And now they call me Brown Jacket every time I go in there, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, we'll take care of it. All right, okay. It'll cost you about six grand. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's wrong with your stove? Um, the low, it stays on medium. It's, you put it you in low. Eric about it? Yeah. What did he say? Swap it out? He said that he's gonna talk to the management, but they never. I'll take care of it for you. All right. Just tell them to remind me. As soon as I walk two feet, I'm gonna forget. <laughs> See you later. Well, I meet and greet. I mean, you know, we have we have an entire service department here. It's professionally run. I manage six buildings, 816 units. So there's always something going wrong, right? So I I, I gain satisfaction by helping people as best as I can. You know, just. That's what gets me through my day. It's like, imagine having 800 wives, you know? And I go home to my daughter and my wife, and then my mom, and I got another six girls in my office, so I'm surrounded. I fell in love with Coney Island. I didn't think, coming all the way from the Bronx, that I would, I would last this long in Coney Island, but there's something about Coney Island that drags, just grasps me and can't put my finger on it. I really can't. We got hit pretty hard here had anywhere from four to seven feet of water that stood. Hi, how are you? That stood until the tide went back out. It's, you have a positive attitude in life, in whatever you do, and you'll get through that day, right? You do your eight hours, your 12 hours, me it's 14 hours, right? And you just gotta get through it, otherwise you'll pass out dead on the floor, freaking heart attack or other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah so, sure. excuse me. Mm -hmm. Take your call. Yeah. 
Anytime you ever walk past here again, you won't always see me by myself. And I can't get in trouble by myself. Unless I'm looking for trouble. You know what I mean? Alright, my name is Bruce. Alright, so let me put that on record too. But a lot of people call me Pop. Sunday I'll be 62 years old, you know, but uh, I use them Sunday side in, in Brownsville. My house caught on fire. Uh, and uh, Red Cross got me an apartment up here. I didn't really want to come out here, but I needed somewhere to stay. I've been out here 10 years. It's nice. Only time I don't like it when it's cold. You know, cause when the, when the wind come up that water there in the wintertime, it's cold. But in the summertime, I like it. You know, you look at the lady with the bikinis, you know, all that. You know, <laughs> I'm being realistic, I'm keeping it 100. You want me to keep it 100, right? I've been, I live in, I've been living in Brooklyn all my life, you understand? Sandy was the baddest, I hate the baddest B that I ever met in my life in 62 years I've been living. They had to uh, evacuate. See, I live on the fourth floor, so they didn't really damage me too much, but it was so much water. That's the worst experience I had in Coney Island with Sandy. I ain't gonna never forget that. In all the history of me living, I ain't gonna never forget that. The most of the time I hear, most of the sound I hear here is boats. The reason why I say the boat, because get, at nighttime, they get real foggy. So you hear the boats all the time. They, if, if, later on tonight, maybe. Now, if it rain tonight, I hope it don't, but if it do, you look out your window and see how far you get, and then you hear the sounds of the boat. Kyrell, have you been watching anything new? Any good TV tips? I haven't really been watching any movies, but um, there's this game out called Last of Us that me and my sister have been um, like playing together. The whole premise of it is like it's a post-apocalyptic type of world and whatnot. And um, there's this girl named Ellie. She's immune to the virus. So the whole purpose of part one was um, you're this guy named Joel. You end up finding Ellie and you have to help her survive to reach to the medics so that they can, um, you know, like extract her blood and stuff like that to find a cure. So that's how part one is. Part two just came out and um, on part two, the way it starts off, like they fill in the blanks of what happened prior because it's like four years later. And um, apparently Joe did not let the medics take Ellie to like get the cure from her and whatnot. So instead he just went on like some ballistic manslaughter and just like, <laughs> bathed her and told her like, you know, like like the cure didn't mean anything. So like now throughout the game, like we're learning um, like the real truth about what happened because the people he slaughtered, now their team is basically looking out for him. So the whole premise of the game is like you're you're the girl Ellie, but you're trying to survive with Joel. I, I don't know if I explained it properly, but it, it's it's pretty good because like the way that it's put together is done like a movie. And wait, do you play part it's one incredible. where you're Joel? Yeah, part one you you play one. it and then yeah. Okay. It's too, it's a the breakdown work I'm playing on the sequel. That's what it is. Sorry if this is a stupid question. I don't know anything mm -hmm. about video games post Sega. Um, like, is there a way that you can play part one and have Joel do the right thing? Or, like, it inevitably always ends? Like, the way it ends, it, it ends as if he did the right thing. But then part two reveals that he did not do the right thing. Got it. Video games are so complicated now. Wow. Um, They're, like, movies nowadays, honestly. Yeah. Is it weird really? to, like, be in a game world that's all about a virus? when you're also in a real world that's all about a virus? Um, I wouldn't say weird, but you see some similarities. Yeah. Anything they're doing right in the game that we should know about, that we should um, be doing? They're, they're like, <laughs> Great um, they already took over the population. Like, no. That's us. That type vibes. <laughs> that's us. I don't want to die. Um, <laughs> amazing. Back in 2017, we met Queen Hazel, who rides around town on a lowrider bicycle, selling her gourmet take on a city summer staple. Here's Hazel. I prefer black tops. 
I don't like the typical orange top. That is the typical nutcracker color, and I think they look so tacky. If you're not selling a, a, a peanut punch, then get rid of the orange top. Okay. <laughs> I like telling jokes to you guys. As a kid, it was something about me that always thought that I was going to live like a boss. I don't know what it was. The teachers used to say I thought I was a prima donna. So it's like I always was a queen. Hi, everyone. This is Queen Hazel Brown Eyes. Instagram and Facebook, Hazel Brown. I'm 29 years old, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, so this... I mainly go around Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy. All sorts of people buy my nutcrackers. I go up Franklin Avenue, and they love my jello shots. They know my name. Me growing up, I grew up in Bushwick, too. Not just Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy. I went back and forth from my mom, my dad, and my grandmom. So that's how I grew up going place to place. That's why I'm so easily going from area to area. I know all these areas. Brooklyn Crown Heights, it was Jay-Z and Biggie all the way. Maya, Aaliyah, Mary J. Blige. Like, Brooklyn loved these these names, I'm telling you right now. We even loved a little bit of Cisco, thong, thong, thong. Like, we loved all the hip hop. It's just a part of us. Let me finish cleaning off this measuring cup. This is the usual routine. I'm gonna be dipping this measuring cup into the container. And I use a glove on my left hand for the bottle. The nutcrackers, <laughs> it actually started from me criticizing someone else's nutcracker, and I didn't even know the person. I'm very picky. I've been picky growing up. Very picky in food and everything. You couldn't even get me to eat a whole piece of chicken. So I'm picky, and I think that's why I'm so good with picking out good flavors. Gotta get all of these flavors mixed in together. Sometimes I use about three different juices in one. These are my nutty flavors. I have like green apple, I have a blue passion fruit, I have a blue mango, and you can get a red passion and a red mango also. I always was the one to go buy two juices and mix them for my drinks. And that was just me on a regular day, like years before this. And then when I decided to start making drinks, I decided to use one of my favorite flavors. My signature flavor is the pineapple peach mango. I started with them and they loved it and I made more and more. Every time I come in, they're like, hooray, hooray, they're going crazy. So I just kept coming in with more and more. And then one day I just, I don't know, just one day I just went outside with them to the point where I walk out my door and somebody pull over and be like, hey, you got any drinks on you? And I'm like, yeah. Nutty Flavor, today is the day to get the drink that you love, the drink that you always get. I got them for five and 10. All of the big ones are 10 and I got like two left for five left. But I'll be back out later. You can take my number, I deliver. Just me and my bike. At the whole, the whole time, the whole system. There's no one that helps twist the bottles. There's no one that pours bottles and juice for me. The thing with this, you like to sip so slow because it tastes so good. Okay. Shake it up. Okay. You know, the guys that grew up with me always like, hey, give us all of the drinks, you know, and like for free and everything. And I'm like, hey guys, you gotta pay me some money. <laughs> but even those guys that play around, they always rooting me on. When they see me out pushing a lot of weight and I'm sweating, they're like, you know, guys. You're gonna do get it. a free test from me right now. You get to taste the one of my flavors. I want to put them in the stores. It's a non-alcoholic drink. They would tell a friend that they know, and then now I will see their friend and don't see them, and they say, oh, I know you, and da da da. Do you remember the first time you had one of my nutcrackers? First time I had one of your nutcrackers. Mm -hmm. I remember you riding your bike asking if we wanted a nutcracker and it was the most amazing thing because I've never seen anyone deliver nutcrackers yeah. before. Oh, yes, definitely be doing your thing out here, always on your grind. Thank you. Always working with me. I always appreciate your work. Thank you. Yeah. It tastes like summertime. Yes. I get to see everybody that I didn't see all winter. Before it was just the heat and the beach, but now it's different. I kind of get emotional because People really showed me a lot of love, so I love it. Hi, guys. I was daydreaming for a second. Hey. Hi, baby. What's going down? You already know. Your block is the best block. How you doing? Good. What's good, y'all? Me out with the drinks. Yeah, work. 
I told you I'm on baby duties. She normally uh, flies to the block every once in a while and we uh, stop her right here. Because then usually you don't just try everybody's nutcracker because you don't know what they mix it with. That's right. But apparently she got the good stuff. But, you know, the weather's going to be changing and this is when it slows up. I'm going to go back to getting my job working and back to regular work. This is really a seasonal thing where you got ice cold drinks out to have fun. And I get to see all my friends as I go around, too. I do actually temp work, secretary work. I worked in law firms. I worked security. I worked every library from West Forth to 200 Indictment, Science Industry and Business Library, Midtown, Central Library, Sean Library. I'm Hazel, Queen Hazel Brown Eyes so on Instagram. They call me Hazel Nut. Hazelnut. I'm Queen Hazel Brown Eyes on Instagram. Hazelnut is the name of my drink. Five years from now, I see myself still building my whole system with everything that I really want to do. And 10 years from now, I, I think I'm going to be watching it grow, like just just watching it go on its own. What more can I ask for? I love bike riding. This can't be the end of this. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> Ronnie, R-O-N-N-I-E. I'm selling water, selling juices, selling peanut punch, sorrel, morbi, all those stuff. I'm selling this since I'm a little boy, about 11 years old. I'm old, I'm old as 56 right now, so. You know what I mean? I'm selling this a while now, since I'm back in Trinidad. I started selling this in 94. It used to be 25 cents, 50 cents when I was selling this. Now it's a dollar. I was a dollar for the smallest one. The same one you would, you, you would sell for 25 and 50 cents. You're selling it for a dollar now, believe me. I used to pay like three dollars, you need a napkin. I used to pay three dollars for this syrup. Now it's like almost 12 dollars, 11 and change. So everything going up, you know what I mean? So you gotta raise your price if everything going up. Ice going up, everything going up. Ice, I used to pay eight dollars for a hundred. Now it's a 24 dollars for a hundred pound of ice right now. I'm doing it from, from a little boy, like I say, 11 years old. I used to be doing it in the Oval with 20,000 people or more. And I used to be selling this. And when I go home, my mother asks me, where you get all this money? Because when I go home, I give my mother $50. Boy, where you get that little boy, 11, 12 years? Come on. You going in the house with 50 and get your mommy, you get a little mommy, hold 50. I used to take my mom to the Oval and show her where I get the money. Then when I take her to the Oval, it used to be nice. Everything just lovely in the Oval when I go. All that happened in Trinidad, and when I came here, in 1987 I came here, and I didn't start this, I, I do body work, you know what I mean? I does body work, car, work on cars. In 1994, my mom passed, so I told myself, man, let me get to something where I could keep money in my pocket, and this is why I jumped back on. Brooklyn <laughs> is the place to be at. If I had money, I would definitely go, I'm sorry, you're not gonna hate on Brooklyn. I would go to South Beach, Miami, and lay out oh, and get drinks and have a tan. I would, I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> I, if I had the money, I would just be like, yeah, on vacay, like, hey, you know, I would. I don't even think um, Bloomberg could do that. Not Bloomberg. <laughs> Who's in there now? I forgot you for a minute. Wow. The Blasio. Blasio. Tell Blasio, listen. <laughs> in world say, I'm going to live in Kingston Park. I'm going to buy the whole park and do for the kids. Do for the kids in this I, park? You know all that. I just want to live in the park. I'm going to buy the park. He can sell it to you. I think he would. Absolutely. He can sell it to me. I can I'm sorry. It's for the kids that are playing basketball, the kids playing in water spring, and the kids running around with the threes, you know? It's the birds. I just hear some birds flying around. You see the birds then? That's what I'm going to buy the park for. There's more to do in the park in the summer than just play basketball and run through the sprinklers. Sometimes kids find their passion where they're least expected to. Here are the boys of Brower Park. That was sick! We gotta get it's that like that one moment when you're going up the roller coaster and it's ticking and you're about to hit the climax and just rush down and you know, it's just like, it's exciting, it's exhilarating. I'm Turtle. You can call me Turtle. Everyone calls me Turtle. 
Broward Park does have a legendary crew. Most people that show up at the park are the locals, but there's all sorts of people dropping into Broward Park. Yo, <laughs> what's up, Paul? Let's go with it, T. Chilling. With Turtle. It's the homie Paul, part of the Broward crew. Always Broward. Bro, we are. We have a special guest appearance. We got book boys in the in the house, in the park right now. Yes, in the flesh. Triple A, um, Aaron, we call him Triple A out here. Bro, I remember everything. I remember how many twigs it used to be on this ground. These guys have been here from very, very far back, you know, before a lot of these people that just moved in came here, and they've been holding it down. We used to call ourselves B.O.B. back in the day. Boys on blades, bikes, boards, and skateboarding was just like the last thing that, that came about, and it stuck. Always repping Broward, because that's our, our little... Like, we used to be snot noses running around here, you know, my era, my generation. It's like, we kind of like got iconic characters in the park. We're all like kind of like superheroes in a certain way. There's this thing in the skateboarding community. When you get a new skateboard, you drop off your old skateboard so that anyone that finds it can take it and keep it. And basically that's how, you know, you kind of give back to the community. So here we go. This is my old board and I'm just gonna leave it right here Free skateboard. <laughs> Somebody's gonna be happy. Shredding, shredding. Aaron, Aaron. Shredding, gang. Little dog, his name Bullet. Yeah, you know that we're gonna do it. My older brother used to push me. He'd tell me to like th put my board on like curves. You know, like I was about eighth grade or so, and nobody ever really heard of skateboarding or, or in my neighborhood. It was always labeled as like a white boy thing to do. Now I'm grinding. I'm grinding, grinding. <laughs> and I think I was out with like one of my my friend's moms at the time and we seen somebody like skating by and they just had this this freedom of just coolness. I think I was 14, you was 13? Or was I, I 13, you was 12? Yeah, I was 13, you was 12. And I always thought to myself, I was like, wow, if I could get to, from point A to B, just looking like the shit, just skating and never looking back, that whole idea of just traveling made me fall in love with the idea of skateboarding um, way before I even seen it get popular. I love going fast, turning, pushing, stopping, <laughs> grabbing onto the backs of cars. <laughs> I feel the most comfortable when I'm moving in motion, top speeds. You know, I'm a skateboarder. This dude book right here, he'll flip over the ledge one day. I threw my hat. I didn't even have a hat on. I mean, pre-Broward pre, pre Park days, they used to have um, a whole bunch of like jungle gyms and kind of things, but they were kind of getting broken down. They were like shredding and falling apart. But my grandmother now, she took over the block association. So from that point, we had a manual pad. Um, we had like a little quarter pipe and a, and a rail put in there. And when those pieces came, I swear like the whole neighborhood felt like we had a home. I remember mad shit. Like before this park was here, Nobody, I could say that for a fact, nobody used to chill down here on these benches like this, ever. The stop and frisk was still going on, all that, so nobody was really trying to chill on the benches. The cops were still stopping for weed and stuff. And now, like, you know, people come here ritualistically, you know, every day with their speakers or whatnot. Don't use that ramp. Use this ramp. And he's got it. On a rail shit? Yeah, look at maybe right here. Who knows what maybe would have been doing if this park is not here? Isaiah Johnson. That's five years old. Yeah, I mean, we let him run around, do what they, do what they want, because it's like, you, know, you can teach. Ollie, I'm about to help him. But it's only, you got to develop your own. Ollie. And he is. I did that already. You know, every day I'm really watching yeah. him get a little more comfortable on the board, and it's He's nice. Got that. That's the Isaiah push. Isaiah, cool. Isaiah kick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I just named that trick after you, bro. Yeah, that's the Isaiah push. Yeah, can I do my ODB rhyme? I remember growing up as a kid and skating around, and people would just say, like, hey, like, what are you doing on a skateboard? Like, you should be playing basketball. And it's just like, Wow. You knew what they were thinking when you came around the skateboard at that time. All they saw was Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk, when the X Games, uh, I wouldn't blame you, like, if that's all you knew, because that's all I knew before that. I started to find out, like, there's black people that skate, but it's just not, you know, televised or, like, put out there like that. Now it is, 
you got a shot where to God, you know? That's the best skateboarder on the planet right now. People just believe that skateboarding is for white people. But anyone can learn how to skate, and I can tell you that. I know for a fact skateboarders don't even care about race like, at all. We do not. We see a skateboard, we fuck with you. That's it. Um, we're about to dip right now. Yo, squad, let's go. Yo, Musa, you want to come show on my backyard for a little bit? We all met as friends. It's like, oh, you have a skateboard, I have a skateboard. And that kind of brought us together. It was just real fun, you know, summertime vibes. Just living life, shredding. Well, I'm not here every day. Uh, some I'm uh, come here maybe two or three times a week. You know, I don't know about these guys, you know, but I come here and sit a couple of days a week. But when I come here, sometimes I don't even want to see them. You know what I'm saying? Because they're funny. They're funny? They're funny. Because okay. <laughs> I get a laugh. They say something stupid and I laugh. <laughs> <laughs> we was talking about food just now. We just had a big conversation. We all laughed. I've been in a lot of other parlors, man, but this this is where I like to be. So I, have, I was practically raised on Lexington between Reed and Stuyvesant. They had an ice house in the middle of the block. Yeah. You know, they had an ice box in my house. I had to go spend 50 cents for a piece of ice. That was in, I was, I'm, it must have been in the, in the 50s when I used to go to the ice house with my family. Now, we had an ice house down the street, cold water flats. We didn't have, you know, what we had, cold stove. Yeah, I played baseball one day, and the, guy, and the guy hit me in my head. Oh, I must have been like 12, 13 years old. I guess maybe he didn't like me or whatever it was, and he just threw the ball and hit me. I tried to get out the way of it, I couldn't. <laughs> so, I'm not crazy neither, man. <laughs> see, see how they are? <laughs> they say, that's the reason why I'm crazy, because I got hit and I got hit in the head. See what I'm saying? What I have to deal with when I come in and sit with them, see the laugh? You call me crazy. But I'm not crazy. I got all my but then, yeah, I got all my faculties and all the time. I don't snap cracking and pop. I come out here and sit up, bring you food and lay out here in the grass, man, and eat. Uh, I probably have some seafood, shrimp clams, you know, stuff like that, lobster, some beer. Uh, I'm probably having me some Hannigan or some Corona, you know what I'm And if I, could, if I could bring a bottle of wine, I'd bring it too. Somebody else might want some wine. <laughs> and well, they would say why I wouldn't go give them some. So I'd have to give it to them. You know, I'd have to treat them all right. They treat me all right. Weekend weather with Griffin. Weekend weather with Griffin. Hey everyone, it's Junior Meteorologist Griff City talking about the weekend weather. Your city, Brooklyn, USA. Friday, high, 84, low, 72. It will be rainy. Saturday, high, 92. Low, 75, it will be sunny. Sunday, high, 91. Low, 78, it will be partly cloudy. Weekly fun fact. Did you know that the common ostrich is the largest bird? Thank you for listening, Brooklyn! Brooklyn, USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias. And me, Emily Bogosian. And me, Shirin Barry. And me, Charlie Hoxie. And me, Carol Palmer. And me, Ross Tuttle. And me, Sriyanka Ray. And me, Mayimi Sato. With help this week from Sriyanka Ray, Anna Luck, Brick Radio Junior Meteorologist Griff City, Lauren Germain, Taylor Cook, Afi Yellowduke, Naji Omar, and our Soapbox Camp counselors, Monica Wuer and Herbert Dobler, and campers Maya Engstrom, Sam Lazar, Jeremy Max, and Henry Newell. A couple of weeks ago, we put out a very special video episode of Brooklyn USA. And if you haven't seen it yet, go to youtube.com slash bricktv, click on the Brooklyn USA playlist, and find episode 33, Being Awoken. 
And if you want to share your story on an upcoming episode, check the show notes for a link to our handy guide on how to record and send us a voice memo. If you like what you hear, comment, like, share, and subscribe, and follow at BrickTV on Twitter and Instagram for updates. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org radio. Yo, shouts out to the team. Shouts out to the team. You know what I'm saying? You wish you could have got down with us, but it didn't happen, all right? So don't be mad at me. Be mad at the people that's negotiating your deals, okay? Yo, shit.